most of what we're going to be doing tonight or this afternoon, I'm just going to be sharing a lot of heart with the church and kind of almost like uh, from a, a bit of a fireside chat kind of, kind of style. So, um, but with regards to um, the offering or really just giving in general, I just, there's some things that I want to share. The first is, as we have said from the beginning and always will, everything uh, that we do in the New Covenant, in the Biblical New Covenant, is, free, is, is on the basis of freedom. So, uh, and in other words, no one should ever feel compelled not only to give, but compelled to do anything in actuality. Any t- it's not to say that we shouldn't do anything uh, in our service of Jesus, uh, but, but it should never come from a place of compulsion. And it would actually, maybe even to some degree, if you are feeling compelled to do something, it, it may be even better to take a, a, a gap and, and like just connect with Jesus before you go on and continue trying to do something. Does that make sense? In other words, what Jesus has liberated us into is just that. It's liberty. It's the freedom not to do some law, but it's the freedom to follow Jesus and be led by him. So even where it concerns giving, like... You can say to yourself right now, you are free. <laughs> you don't have to say that. You are free, honestly. There's like no, no compulsion. Um, and so just kind of like a testimony of, of how things have gone. This, this church plant, Border City Church, um, has honestly been a like amazing testimony so far of just God's hand on what we're doing and it, it's so it, it's as is the case for most um, of the will of God actually you know those who follow Jesus by faith it usually isn't comfortable it usually isn't um, doesn't make a whole lot of sense but it's been amazing to watch the hand of God so in case you don't know I don't know how many of you know all of the story but this church plant started as something that was kind of like a whisper in the ear of, of the heart of, of my wife and I, um, kind of over a period of time, but really began to materialize in November of 2015. And in that moment, we were putting our feet here on the, we were living in South Africa, we were uh, on a trip here in Detroit, feeling like there's something happening in Detroit, and as a pastoral team back in Johannesburg, where we were feeling like we need to put our feet on the ground and, and test things out, and uh, it was at a particular coffee that we had at, um, what's that place in downtown? The, the Dime something? The Dime Store. Yes, thank you. That is where you have breakfast, right? Okay, the Dime Store, yes. And we were there, we were with the Sudworths, who were going to be coming through where Minda has been this weekend in Chicago. And uh, they were spending a day and a night with us just to pray with us while we were here. And we were beginning to feel there's something happening here with tears in her eyes uh deborah subworth shared with us at that dime store just began to say i I feel like god is just doing something in this city and it's kind of like the invitation is for you to be a part of that and if you want to he's doing it but it's kind of like you have the you know take it or just continue doing what you're doing or something of that nature it was like in that moment something shifted inside of minda and i we had no clue how this church plant would come about, no clue, like no clue, and, but we just said yes to God in that moment, and it was literally from that encounter that we drove to go meet 
people that some of you may know, pastors Jerry and Joy Weinzerl, who were just interested in kind of like meeting because we had heard so much of them from other connections that we have. And, and, uh, and it was during the course of that conversation that they start talking about wanting to partner and make this thing happen. Now, that certainly, you know, didn't, didn't necessarily, so we still had kind of no clue how it was actually going to happen. Nothing was materially um, in, in place. But this thing has been gone from something that began with God speaking about a church plant in Detroit. And literally every step that we've taken, it's been like God has met the provision, the people, the whatever, and caused this thing to come about. When we landed here in October of last year, um, we kind of knew how we personally would survive for a, a short period of time. Beyond that, we had no idea. It was just total faith. And it has been amazing, behind the scenes, what some of you folk don't know about. Behind the scenes, what has been happening, and in, in, I was telling uh, my friend Jason here uh, this week, it's almost like you're, it's, it's, it feels like you're going down a river, and you can see where the waterfall is. And it's just like things are fine here, but you kind of know, if God doesn't do something, there's a waterfall coming. And it's like God just keeps on providing to where that waterfall actually is just all in here. Uh, God's, you know, just bringing this thing through. It has been amazing. And uh, so much so that right now the church is in a place where we have, um, you know, provision for a, a, a good time out. And that has, like, God has just made that happen. So what we don't probably know as a church there is no, like, parental church organization or thing like that that's, like, funding uh, Border City Church. So there is, we have partnership with uh, Grace Christian Church, um, and they're giving something that re represents maybe about 7% of our monthly expenses. And then Santon City Church in Johannesburg, they're giving what would also represent exactly the same thing except in Rand, but converting it into South African Rand, converting it to dollars, another 7%. So about 15% of the monthly expenditures of the church is covered by um, two other churches. And so there's the 85% that uh, needs to be covered. And as of right now, if you take the recurring gifts, what seems to be recurring gifts of the church, uh, we're covering about 38 to 40% of the monthly expenditure together with those other two churches that I just represented. So the awesome news is we're closing in on like 50% of our expenses being covered. Uh, so that is, that is great. Um, but obviously that other 60, 62% needs to come from somewhere. And so um, what I'm saying is that's not going to come from out there. I mean, I mean, God can provide in amazing ways, and he probably will, like some kind of non-recurring kind of way. Ultimately, the way the church uh, is financed is by its own. That's the, the will of God. It's those who God has called to be a part of the thing, uh, actually in gratitude of God and partnership with, with the vision of whatever church you're planted in, uh, we release it together. And so I'm saying these, these things, obviously, to encourage, if God has planted you, you in this place, in this church, if your heart is knit with what God is doing, then um, consider that. And consider what that may mean in terms of partnership together. Um, I have a feeling we all desire to see this. So I think, you know, what starts with God speaking to a couple, what happens is that then there are people that come into that vision. And this isn't just 
my vision or me and Minda. This is our vision. It's actually God's vision, and we are called to work it out. And we all partner in the thing together. And if you're a part of that picture, I want to encourage you, let's do this thing together. So, cool. So, uh, the guys who are receiving the offering, go ahead and get ready. Just to make it very clear, uh, what I'm doing here is certainly not trying to encourage like a one-time, you know, a gift right here, right now. Like write your check out, some big, big thing. Uh, I, again, it's, it's family. We own this thing together. So really what we're talking about is tithing. It's the regular giving and the partnership. So anyways, if, if you guys could go ahead and, and collect the offering. If you're making a, a check out, just be clear, it's Border City Church. Um, of course, you can give in with cash, but let's, why don't we pray instead of just going through the, the formalities of, of um, uh, putting out the plates. Let's, let's, let's pray into this and, and trust God. Because I wouldn't be saying what, I, in fact, everything that I've just said to you, uh, there could be the risk of some people in this room thinking, dude, you're, you're crazy. <laughs> Like 38% of the expenditures are, like you've got 62%. I am so convinced that God has started this church plant. God will provide. That I'm willing to say this publicly because I'm convinced also that we need to carry it together. I'm so convinced that God will come through. We will see this together. Um, I don't know how or, or exactly, but we will see this thing happen. I'm convinced of it. So uh, let's let's... If you have faith for that, let's pray into that together. So, Lord, we thank you not just for survival. We're not here just to survive. And we, you haven't sent us to Detroit and, and be a part of this simply to survive. You don't call your people just to survive. You call us to rely completely on you that you could do what only you could do. And, Lord, we want to thank you for what you have called this church to do in this city. The revelation of your love and of your gospel that we can be a part of in this city and in the nations. And Lord, we thank you that as we put our hand in yours to follow you, we thank you that you uh, provide at every level. And Lord, we want to commit if um, as we are called by you to be a part of what you are doing here. Lord, we want to commit ourselves to you and to partner with you, and to give uh, liberally and in faith and obedience to you. Not out of compulsion, but in response to what you have called us to do. And we thank you for that. We thank you for that opportunity. And we thank you for the testimonies that are to come. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So go ahead and collect those if you, if you would. Pass it around. Money in the church. That's always a fun topic, isn't it? Um... So you, you will never, ever receive anything of compulsion. That's, that's our, uh, our commitment to you. You will never receive any kind of pressure, any kind of manipulation, or uh, neither will you ever receive any kind of, like, unbiblical practices of if you give $10,000 right now, God's going to give you 100000 by next week. We're not going to go. <laughs> you will, you, you, we will never do that. Um, and uh, you have my word. However, we are real here, and uh, we are family, and so families talk, we communicate, we share together, and uh, you, you also have our word on that. We will always know what's going on and, and uh, in reality, so 
And it's actually a, a wonderful thing. So Minda, is, as uh, Aaron has said, is in Chicago, and that's, that's a, a blessing. Um, and uh, they asked if I would just share with you, uh, actually Steve Sudworth, the, the pastor in Chicago, has, has sent me a text earlier today and said, uh, your wife killed it this weekend. Thank you so much for releasing, but they specifically also said, please send our love to the church and thank the church for releasing Minda and Courtney and Melanie to be a part of um, that particular weekend. Um, uh, so it is, it is so th- uh, I was sharing this uh, Wednesday or Thursday night when we did the midweek meal, um, that um, it's a price and a privilege. So in case you, uh, to be a part of this apostolic like partnership around the, the world with New Covenant Ministries International and to serve on the team. It's a price and a privilege. It's a privilege because it's so awesome to go into places like what Minda's doing and to be able to give what it is that we have to be a blessing in other churches and to help other cities uh, and the church that's, that, that's, that's in those cities and etc. But it's a price because we, we send. And, um, but I think it's more of a privilege personally. So in the future, uh, there are going to be more such trips, and uh, some of you might need to, to go on some of those. Would that be okay? So we, we're definitely going to be going into um, uh, Kitchener, I think it's called. Uh, is, it, is it, I don't know how, Canada, I'm still learning this, but Canada's, yeah, it's in Ontario, but they say it's in Waterloo, so I'm, I don't know. What, anyways, it's like this, what's that? It's next to, okay, so like, okay. So we're, there's a church there. We'll be visiting there sometime. There's a church in Boston that wants us to come through sometime soon that we've been actually praying for as a church. And then um, there is a large event around the 4th of July in, in Los Angeles that uh, all of you would be encouraged to go if you can, if you can make it. Uh, so we'll tell you more about that in the future. What I want to do today is kind of like I say, cut and bleed. So, um, in other words, it's not like I'm not going to sermonize right now. We're going to just share some heart about some, some heart, some vision with regards to the church, this church. So, um, and it's impo- I find it's very important to have explicit communication to, in order to be able to partner together and to build together. In other words, if you don't know where you're going, it's very hard to kind of find your place. And so it's very difficult in a quick period of time to share all of what, what it is that you're doing. We've shared a lot of that with this Isaiah 61 uh, picture, which many of you would be familiar with. Um, but I just want to share some thoughts about how we're kind of structuring and building Border City Church over this next season so that you can be aware of it with us as we move forward with it and know kind of what we're trying to accomplish, what we feel like the Lord has put on uh, the, the heart of this church to do. Is that okay? So crowds and disciples or multitudes and disciples. So if you study the ministry of Jesus, you will find in the Gospels, you will find that there is a, a theme that is underlying in his ministry of reaching different people groups with a different type of ministry that he provides to each group. So you've got three particular groups. We're going to talk about two of them in the next few minutes. 
the, 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 you've got the multitudes, as the King James or the New King James would say. These are the throngs of crowds that followed Jesus. They were interested in hearing uh, what he was doing. They were hearing testimonies about him, multiplying the fish and the loaves, or pre- uh, performing healings and, 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 and casting out demons. They wanted to find out what was going on, uh, which, which we believe still needs to be happening today. But then from that group, you've got other people who crossed a line of faith. They heard something or saw something in Jesus that said to them, this guy isn't just something I'm, somebody I'm interested in listening to or seeing. This guy is something of the Son of God. For instance, many of you would know Matthew 16 where Peter, when Jesus asked them, who do you say I am? He stands up and said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. There was something of a conviction that they had that this guy needs to be followed. He's the Messiah. And so those people collectively were called the disciples, the, the, the Bible would, would say. The disciples, people who weren't just kind of watching him from afar, but were following Jesus. And then within the disciples, you even have those that Jesus had appointed as apostles, the twelve, that he walked most closely with. He shared his life. They walked everywhere together. You follow what I'm saying so far? Jesus hasn't changed. Wait, hold on. I think one person nodded there. Are you following? <laughs> let, me, let me be sure. So we've, we've got Jesus has not changed. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's still doing the same thing. So I think that perhaps we should glean from what he did. He had multitudes or crowds, disciples, and then even the 12. And let's, let's look at Matthew chapter 4. And then the very end of that chapter, and then we'll go into the beginning of Matthew chapter 5 to look at um, this concept from the scriptures of how Jesus did this kind of crowds and disciples thing. And, uh, and then I'm going to talk about how this would affect Border City Church or how this would be realized in Border City Church. So Matthew 4, starting in the 23rd verse, if you have any kind of a Bible or Bible app with you, Jesus went through Galilee, I'm reading from the NIV, throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, listen to this, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. So we have proclamation there of the good news, right? And we have not just proclamation of the good news, but it's the good news of what? The kingdom. The the administration of the will of God here on earth, proclaiming his kingdom. So he's uh, not only proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, but he's also healing every disease and sickness among the people. So in other words, he is proclaiming the kingdom, but then he's also demonstrating the reality of that kingdom. It's one thing to talk about the kingdom of God. It's another thing when those people who just heard you say that the kingdom of God is at hand actually experience the reality of that and see somebody healed. So he's proclaiming the kingdom, demonstrating the kingdom to the crowds, right? That is the word that's used, multitudes, crowds, whatever. Verse 24, news about him spread all over Syria and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, and the paralyzed, and he healed them. Large crowds, you catch that? Verse 25, large crowds from Galilee and Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across Jordan followed him. So he's proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and he's demonstrating it. 
How many of you want to see demonstration of the kingdom of God again through the church? Same Jesus. Jesus has not changed. Must see the same thing happening today. If we want to see Detroit, what are we even here for in the first place? It is that people would still see the same Jesus today. And what is the result of this proclamation and especially this demonstration? Crowds begin to follow. It begins to, the fame begins to, not, not, not to grow his ministry, but just because people are interested in the supernatural, <laughs> right? But then listen to this. That ended chapter 4. If you cross over into chapter 5, because remember, it's not like when the Bible was written that Matthew, in this case, was, was writing, you know, chapter 5, verse 1. You know, he's just writing. He's writing an account, and uh, we have put the delineation of chapter and verse uh, in here. So he's just going on here, and listen to this. Verse 5, I mean, verse 1 of, of the next chapter. Now, when Jesus saw the what? The crowds, or the multitudes. He went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples, catch that, not the crowds, his disciples came to him and he began to teach them and he said, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now I want you to, to kind of catch this idea of what Jesus was doing here and what was actually happening here. You've got crowds following Jesus because of the demonstration of the kingdom. And Jesus sees the crowds. That's important. He is taking note of the crowds. In other words, his heart was turned to this vision of the crowds. And Jesus, the one who knows that within three and a half years, he's going to be out of here. And the baton that he's carrying is going to be passed to those who are following him. He sees the crowds, and his next step is to get away from them into a place that those crowds would not be uh, very comfortable following. He goes up into a mountainside, a rugged terrain, which is much more difficult to maneuver through, and he knows that the only people who are going to follow him into that place are people who have made a decision, I'm following this dude. Does that make sense? Those who had not crossed that line in their heart are not going to follow him into the difficult places. He wanted to separate from himself, for himself, those who were the multitudes from those who were disciples so that he could teach them. Why? Because he is going to be handing that baton over to them. They are going to be the ones who would continue to reach the crowds of this earth. And, and, by, and by, when I say that, they're going to be the ones performing the same works that Jesus did. So, these guys, the disciples, if they were drawn to Jesus in the first place, they were started as, as a member of the crowd, and they heard the proclamation of the kingdom of God and saw the demonstration of the kingdom of God, the interest that, that, that works inside of the human heart is the kingdom of God. Would you agree with me? It's this thing of there's, surely there's more than just this material world. There's something of power that I was created for. And there's this interest in following Jesus to find out more. So to the one he proclaims the kingdom of God, to the other he teaches. And there's a difference. You follow. It's one thing to proclaim that the existence of it is and make that de declaration. It's another thing to teach others how to walk in the same thing you walk in. And the same Jesus is still the one building the church today. And if he's the one who had ministry to crowds and ministry to the disciples, I think the church today should as well. And that's what I want to share. Is 
what we are doing as a church during this season of our life. I don't know if this is going to be what we do for, 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 for you know, ongoing, but I want to share with you our heart and what, how we're doing ministry, how we're doing church right now, is that this moment right here, even though right now is like not a good example, what we're doing on Sundays here is crowds. It's for everybody. It's for people who have made absolute no decision or have any conviction about who Jesus is and what they believe in him to the person who is absolutely convinced that they are going to follow him no matter what and everything in, in between. This is, this is a place for the proclamation of the kingdom of God, which I find every believer routinely needs to hear. This is a place for the demonstration of the kingdom of God. We want to see um, the miraculous happening here. We want to see the, the, the demonstration of the kingdom of God, the ministry of Jesus, not just through the ordained pastor, through, through the disciples, those who have had the baton passed to them. But midweek, uh, what we're doing during the week is specifically for those from amongst those who would gather here and who have said, Jesus is my God. He is my king. I want to follow him. I want to fulfill the purpose that he has for me. I don't want to just hear about this kingdom of God. I want to be, take my place and walk in it and find my place in it. That is what we're uh, wanting to do in, in our midweek times. And we've shared, um, just to give you a, a kind of a glimpse of what we're talking about when we say that, we've shared kind of what that looks like Things like meals. We just had a meal together this past Thursday. How many of you, you know, do you enjoy that? Uh, we ha I, I had some vegetarian lasagna from, made by my friend Tamora over here. And yeah, wow is right. And we listened to swing jazz music like, you know, um, Ella Fitzgerald and that kind of thing. Like, so that may not excite you. That excites me. No, it was, it was like a cool time, and we bonded, and we got to know each other a little bit more. So we'll have moments like that. We'll probably have, like, games and stuff like that. But we'll also um, uh, have teaching in those moments that is specifically for people to be maturing and to grow, to go deeper, to discover their calling. Moments where we can begin operating in, in something, where it's not just one person doing the, the ministry, where the body is ministering to the body various things like that. We're going to be, you remember this Isaiah 61 picture? The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. Remember that? He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, proclaim liberty to the captives. The, and so healing, liberty, being appointed into place and becoming a rebuilder. In these midweek times, we're going to have teaching that isn't about healing and that kind of thing, but about liberty. The next step of maturing, of being free, and about appointing, finding your place in the work of God, and about rebuilding, how you can become a rebuilder and beginning to partner together. You, follow, you kind of get the picture? So crowds and disciples. Let me just share a couple thoughts. Who were the crowds? Who were the disciples? Let's go through that real quick. Um, crowds were intrigued. They were interested there was no definition of their faith in Christ. They were just interested. They were coming to follow. I know I've already said a lot of this, but let's just kind of make sure we, we, uh, make sure we tackle this and digest it. Disciples have made a definitive choice to follow Jesus. Two completely different groups. And what you can teach to the disciples is not necessarily appropriate 
to talk to the multitudes. In fact, you're probably going to drive the multitudes away because they have no interest. Why would you teach me how to walk in the kingdom if I haven't even made any decision that I believe in the kingdom? Or, or have any faith that you would, you know, that Jesus is the one to, to, to show me? So there, you get that other group of disciples aside, you can teach completely different things that are appropriate in that context. What, what did Jesus do with each of these? To, with the crowds, he proclaimed the gospel and he demonstrated. He proclaimed the kingdom, he demonstrated the kingdom. What did he do with the disciples? He taught them. It says in that verse that we just read, now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up in the mountainside and sat down and his disciples came to him and he began to teach them. And what did he teach them? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Because the drawing factor is the kingdom. Not just seeing it demonstrated. I want to walk in it. Teach me how. Where, uh, if you kind of take the Isaiah 61 picture, this thing that I just referenced, healing, liberating, of being appointed into your place, and then becoming a rebuilder of waste places, very poignant for the city of Detroit. Where would each of these groups be on that kind of journey? With the crowds, we're talking about healing, the, the first. It's the healing of the broken heart. That's what the crowds need. And it's not to say that disciples don't need ongoing healing. Please don't get that wrong. I need ongoing healing. <laughs> Pray for me, actually. I need to be healed. In our hearts. Uh, however, once the issue of healing really has to do with trust. It's becoming vulnerable and allowing Jesus to, to come into your heart and, to, and you begin to trust him and trust his word. The issue of liberty, the second kind of step, if you will, is an issue of once I've learned to trust Jesus and his word, now I need to know how to fight the battle of overcoming these things that, that keep me in bondage and oppress me. Does that make sense? It's like a next level. So you start with healing, those things that cause me to trust, but once that you move on to trust, that's the platform to go into liberty. That's the platform to move on into your purpose, finding your call. And that's the platform of you actually becoming a rebuilder in other people's lives. What is the nature of the relationship of Jesus with the disciples? With the crowds, excuse, with, the, with, the, with the crowds and the disciples. With the, with the crowds, it's less personal. Uh, you can use the expression blend into the crowd, so to speak. It's, it's a crowd. There's no personal relationship it's just it's a throng of people it's it's the it's the uh um uh i'm trying to think of the word but it's not coming to me uh anyways it's it's a crowd whereas with the disciples it's close accounted for they're doing life together in fact where where it's concerned the the 12 i would probably say just imagine because we don't we don't think about these things in scripture sometimes but these guys walked from city to city together. I would imagine they learned very intimate details about one another's lives. If you can pardon my expression, I know we're in church and we're not supposed to talk like this, we probably found that, you know, John had stinky gas. And, uh, and Andrew had a weird habit of picking his toenails. And do you know what I'm saying? You, you find these weird, you, you do life together, you get to know each other. Why, why do we sit in pews in modern day church and think that this is like what Jesus intended it to be. Like sit down and I've kind of done, I've, and we call it a church service, you know, whatever that means. Like a, it's like we, we've served the Lord by giving him an hour and a half of our time because God knows we would sure love being, doing something else. What is that? It, there's something of following, of doing life together that's the essence 
of what it is to be an actual disciple of Jesus in the context of community with other disciples. That has never changed. We changed that. Jesus did not change it. And so, again, it's not blending into the crowd. It's being close. And uh, I, can, I can assure you what my experience has been and that of my wife, being in relationship with people like Steve Sudworth in Chicago, like other people who maybe you don't know yet in in, um, in Johannesburg and other places of South Africa where we've been, an actual relationship, being known, not just doing church on a Sunday together, actually knowing where they know how I treat my wife because they've done several meals in my household. They know how I treat my kids. They know the intimate details of my life and can speak into my real life, not just the persona I am at church. Do you follow? That's what we need to actually grow in calling. And I'm actually going to share a little bit on, on that in just a minute. And how did Jesus reach these different crowds? Uh, the, the, the crowds, that was easy spaces, very accessible spaces. He went to them. Where the disciples were concerned, he intentionally made it so that they had to follow him into places that were not as easy. How many of you have ever experienced with your own relationship with Jesus where to follow him, not to play the church game, but to follow the voice of Jesus was going to take you into uncomfortable places. How many of you have ever, have ever done that? That's a delight. That's the, the, it's never stopped being that way. He's always been that way. And uh, there is a blessing on the backside of obedience when you, when you do that. So we want to facilitate both of these uh, for our church. And, um, and let me just kind of by way of reminder remind us with this Isaiah 61 picture. The process... Because really what we're talking about, crowds and disciples, all of that is the same thing. It's just using a different term as the Isaiah 61 picture of a person, the gospel going to the poor, healing to, the, to where that person who was once described as poor is now a rebuilder of waste places. It's all the same picture. And the process begins, let me just remind us as a church, the process begins with the love of God that woos our heart and causes us to trust and want more. And every step along the process is built on that platform. Let's always keep it that way. It's not like you graduate from the love of God and then he becomes hard on you and it's just going to be like, he's going to start saying mean things to you and, and talk about how bad you are or something. It's always the platform of the love and grace of God that propels us through to each phase of maturity. Let it always be that way. So I just want to share for a moment um, about leadership in the church. The vision that we have, what God has called us to do, is going to require loads of leaders. If we actually want to see rebuilding waste places, and that is going to take loads of leaders, one, and then people who maybe they're not going to be ordained into some professional form of ministry, but, but they are rebuilders. They're people who have been activated in the call of God on their life. Leaders and rebuilders. Every person in this room is called to be a rebuilder. So let me just share some, uh, a thought or two about the reality of, of kind of how we do, because again, I like explicit communication of how our, what our approach is like for leadership or what we're, how we're viewing leadership. Uh, I believe 
where it comes to um, uh, the way church has historically brought leaders through and, and into, into a place of recognition, uh, I don't know if it's been always the best model. Uh, and it's gone something like this. For a, for a preacher or a pastor or whatever, you kind of go off to some theological school or a Bible school, and you sit in a class and you learn awesome teaching, and you are able to successfully answer questions on an exam, and then you get some kind of a degree or some kind of um, commendation, and then you go off into ministry. What I have seen over and over, and I don't know if, it mo hopefully most of you haven't necessarily experienced this, over and over, is people having a moral fallout in ministry time and time again. Anyone ever heard of these things before? And uh, I don't think that there's any panacea, there's no like one, one solution for that, but I do think this. An atmosphere where we don't only look at a scholastic form of preparation, but where people are prepared for their destiny in the context of an actual community relationship, where people know you and can actually speak into your issues because through a relationship and through trust. People are going to come through that way of being developed much more healthily, if that's a word, than a simple scholastic classroom setting. Let me ask you this. In Jesus' form of training the disciples, do you feel like that was primarily scholastic or primarily relational? It's relational. And it's never been the will of God for that to change. The local church is the place for, for ministry to be launched. The place where you're in community with people who know you, who see you, who heard that comment that you made to your wife, and who have the relationship to be able to, to, be able to say, hey, bro, you know, maybe let's, let's, whatever the case may be. Do you know what I mean? Relationships where we're actually helping each other to grow. As opposed to sitting in a class next to somebody, there's a, a distance, and I'm able to have great charisma, and, and, and God's using me to heal people, and uh, the power of God is on my life, or I'm very skilled, but I haven't been developed in my private space at all. So we want to see community built where people can find in God's way, in a healthy way, find their call in the picture of rebuilding uh, waste places here in the city. And um, yeah, if you'll look with me to Acts chapter 13, just read the scripture and we'll close. So there's this, this church in Antioch. <clears throat> Some of you perhaps are familiar with this. This is where the Apostle Paul, the writer of two-thirds of the New Testament, um, writes, I mean, excuse me, he, he was actually sent out from this church. At this time, he's called Saul. And uh, we tend to think that Paul just was Paul. He's the Paul that we know. We've read his letters but the reality is Paul walked through a journey from the moment of him becoming a Christian. Many of you would know the story. He's, he's on a donkey. He's in process of going to go persecute and actually kill Christians. And Jesus appears to him through a blinding light and he speaks to him. How many of you know the story? And then, uh, and then we, we find out ultimately Paul goes to the, most of the Mediterranean 
uh, world, and he's planting churches all throughout southern Europe, as we know it, in, in, in modern-day kind of Turkey area. And he is like, uh, like a on, he's, he is a machine of apostolic church planting and writing letters that we have based our understanding of church and the faith on for, for, most, for the most part. But Paul, or Saul, was not always this person. He was not always in this place. He went through a journey of preparation. And you see the exact same pattern going through in the life of David. You see the same pattern even to some degree in the life of Jesus. And uh, you see it in the life of Saul. And here in this chapter here, Acts chapter 13, this is the moment where Saul is being released into his call. How many of you actually want to walk in your call and discover it? There is a journey, my friends. Every single person has a desire to fulfill something of a divine call. Uh, Perhaps not atheists, I don't know. but, But for the most part, everyone has a sense. I was created for something and I want to fulfill a divine call. There is a journey towards that, my friends. And can I even say, I have seen so many people that I've walked in relationship with that I have seen taken out in their, the process of their call. And I'm not saying that they've been taken out as in they're no longer a Christian. It's like they've lost the journey. And what they once had said, I feel called to this, it's like this fire that has died and they're just kind of like spinning wheels in life. They've lost that sense of divine call. And what I'm saying is, as much as we can have a desire to fulfill divine call, few people actually walk in it. Few. And there is a journey of the hand of God on your life, and, uh, and it's, it's an issue of walking with Jesus season by season, hearing him, and walking in what he's calling you to do. Every act of obedience you do today is preparation for the call of God that he's going to reveal tomorrow. And you see this in the life of this man, Saul who at this time had been kind of floundering. Jesus appears to him in a dramatic way. He tries to go hang out with Christians, but no one wants to hang out with them because no one trusts him. They all think they're gonna, he's, he's like a spy and he's going to kill them. And uh, he's hanging out in Tarsus. That's like where he's from. And Barnabas, this one dude who's in Antioch, he knows the call of God on Saul's life. He knows that when he found Jesus, that Jesus told him, you will be a light to the Gentiles which was a new thought in the church at this time. And uh, he knew that he had a passion to take this gospel to the Gentile, non-Jewish world, which again was not something that was happening at that time. When this church in Antioch was planted, they were taking the gospel to the Gentiles, a brand new phenomenon in church life. And Barnabas said, Saul needs to be a part of this. Saul, that dude who had that amazing like experience on the donkey, fell off, He's floundering. He needs to be here. He went up to Tarsus, got Saul, brought him back. And uh, in Acts chapter 13, we find this. Now in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And so they had... Uh, fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. I just want to say this right here. The, progr- the, the process that God had of Saul into the preparation of this ministry that we all love and receive from 2,000 years later, the epistles that this guy wrote, 
the process of God on this man's life before he was released to plant those churches and write the, the epistles to those churches, he first had to come into a local church. And the description that we just read is that he sacrificially, knowing he's called out to reach nations, he first became absorbed and lost in a community where he was part of a team and he was even praying and fasting with them, ministering to the Lord. In other words, waiting on the Lord and his purposes to serve what God was building in that church in Antioch. And when Saul came into that place, anchored in that place, it was in that moment that the Holy Spirit said, now I've taught this boy some lessons that he's going to need to learn because what he's learned now is the very thing that is going to need to be built in all those churches I've called him to plant around the world. This thing of community, this thing of team at a local level. So let me just drive a stake in the ground. We are not about releasing ministry just because somebody has a gift. In this church, we will be releasing loads of ministry in the months and years to come by people who are known. That's a safe place. People who are building not just their ministry, but building the ministry. And people who aren't just involved in service, although that is important, people who are walking in, in journey and we're finding out that you have a strange habit of picking your, your toenails. Or have stinky gas. <laughs> okay, that's bad. No one's laughing. That's awkward. Okay. <laughs> I hope you're hearing the heart there. Actual relationship. Like doing life together. One way that that's happening is what we're doing in the midweek times. That's one, that's one important way. And I want to see that really begin bearing fruit in people's lives and seeing us grab a hold of truths together that are liberating us and that we're finding something of team together and partnering together to take this mission that we have to the rest of the city and even ultimately to other nations. And midweek will be an important part of that. But also just relationship doing life together. This is what church is. This is, what, this is the community in which healing actually takes place. And let's not forget that God's called us to do that. So uh, I'll end with this. Before we, um, uh, Minda and I, while we were still in, in Johannesburg, and it's very hard to communicate the realities of what we walked through en route to this awesome city that we now share uh, together called Detroit, uh, it's hard to communicate the kind of the headspace that we were in and, and the, the process that, that we were in, having a church that we very much love, love, loved, and knowing that God was calling us to, to return to America and, and, and plant a church and total risk of faith and, you know, once again, leap out, not, know, you know, not knowing anything and, and that whole thing. And God, um, there were three trusted people who all shared prophetic senses with us during that season, would have been last year, um, that were completely unbeknownst to one another, but all essentially were saying in different ways the same thing. So one was a pastor on, uh, in the church that we were a part of. Another was Peter, a man named Peter Rasmussen, who's on the NCMI team from Durban, South Africa. And another was a very respected prophetic voice called Chanel Rousseau. I'm sure we'll probably try to have her from Port Elizabeth, South Africa. All three of these people shared a very similar prophetic sense, and it was basically this, that 
you, Paul and Minda, you are being prepared. What you see is that you're being prepared in Johannesburg for this church plant that God's calling you to do in Detroit. What you don't see is that there are people that he is preparing just like he's preparing you on the other side right now. And that when you go across over there and you take your steps moving towards what God's called you to do in Detroit and you come into contact, it'll be like Lego pieces. Um, You know Legos. So that aspect came from from a guy, he's Stuart Morgan, one of the pastors on in the church, uh, who's an engineer, and he was just talking about how he prophetically felt like he saw Lego pieces, finely engineered, fitting perfectly together, uh, like made for one another, if you've ever played with Legos. I mean, I've stepped on Legos with bare feet in my, you know, I've, I've done that, but way back when I actually played with Legos too, and they're so well engineered. And that was the image that he felt like he saw, is that there was this engineered, like perfect fitting people that you don't see yet. You don't know their names. You don't know them. And so as we've come across, it's like one by one, we've been walking into these Lego piece connections. What I'm saying now is uh, perhaps there are people in here who are Lego. I mean, obviously there are people in here who are are Lego pieces, but perhaps there are people who haven't really kind of taken that to heart fully. uh, That and I, so I say that without wanting to manipulate. If God's prepared you to be a Lego piece and be a part of this thing, then that's awesome. If he hasn't, be free. But I am wanting to say, I believe that God's hand is and has been preparing in his own ways people to be a part of this. And if that's the case, I want to rally you to throw your weight into this thing. Let's do this thing together. From every level, let's do it financially partnering together, but let's do it with our faith, partnering together. Let's see this thing. Let's believe. Let's do life together. Let's work this thing out. Let's have those uh, relationships and conversations, and let's band together and see Jesus do awesome things together. Cool? Shall we pray? I think it would be a a good way to to respond. Um, Kurt, having said that, would you be okay to uh, just kind of, pr- I'd like to kind of worshipfully respond. Could I ask you maybe just to stand, stand together with me and let's, let's pray and worship. I'm not going to ask, uh, and again, the, this particular Sunday, a little bit different as you, as you have seen and as you can tell. Um, but sometimes I, I, it's important just to have a family moment. Um, and just to talk about some family life, kind of a fireside chat, like I said earlier. Uh, but nevertheless, it's no less of a moment to respond to what God is, is wanting to say. So maybe this hasn't been like a sermon kind of thing, uh, but I still believe God's speaking and uh, giving us a chance to, to respond in faith. Now, let me remi- having said that, let me re- remind us, how did Jesus actually come into the earth? It was through Mary, right? And that whole process started with the angel Gabriel coming to to Mary and he spoke over her what God wanted to do, this ridiculous plan that made no sense and and she could never accomplish. Speaking God's, and oftentimes, as my friend Jason can testify, we had a conversation this week, God's plans are always ridiculous. Ridiculous. 
to our natural mind. They don't make sense, and they require more of us than we even have to give. Every time. Not some of the time, every time. And her response was, Behold the handmaiden of the Lord, be it done to me according to your word. And in that confession and in that heart posture, the seed of God and his purpose was able to impregnate her to bring forth the purpose of God into the earth. It's never changed. It's always been the same way. The ridiculousness of what God wants to speak over our lives and us responding the same way as Mary, receiving it. I don't get it. I don't understand, but behold the servant of God, be it done to me according to your word. Can we respond in that kind of way? If, if you have faith, and whatever that may mean for you, respond in that way. Lord, let it be done to me according to your word. There are people who are called to be builders here in Detroit, builders of waste places, to be a part of what God is building here, and to respond with a yes and an amen not to Paul or Minda or any other person, to the Father. Be it done to me, accord I receive it. I receive it into my heart and into my life. And if you can handle the, the image here, we will become impregnated with, with that which was the desire of God in heaven. It will find a, a home, a womb, here in the earth that it can pass through and materialize. We all want these plans that God has for Detroit to be fulfilled. We are the ones called to do it. Can we say yes and amen? So Lord, we do just like Mary. We want to respond just like Mary uh, tonight, Father, and say, behold, the servant of God, here I am. I, I, I lay no claim to my own life. Everything I have, all of who I am, you gave it to me in the first place. And you have it all. Behold, here I am, the servant of the Lord. Be it done to me according to your word, God. I receive it. We receive it. We receive your call. Whatever it is that you are speaking to me in this, in this time, in this hour, especially as it pertains to what you're doing in this church and in this city, we want to say yes. We don't want to try to shape it and customize it according to our conveniences. We want to say, we don't get it, but yes, we are willing to step. Step out of the boat. We'll never see your glory until we do. Lord, we step out of the boat 